Hello and welcome to Real Men Feel. I am your host, author, coach, and healer, Andy Grant. Please visit theandygrant.com to learn more about that. Real Men Feel exists to remind men that they are human beings and they have the right to experience and express all of their emotions. We have the conversations that most men aren't having, but that all men can benefit from. While 2023 is still a very fresh year, I'm reminded of the opening of A Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief, it was the epic of incredulity. It was the season of light, it was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope, it was the winter of despair. We had everything before us, we had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven and we we're all going direct the other way. Now to me, that can describe today as well as when it was written in 1859. So I find myself wondering, you know, how might someone step up to serve the light, to, to add to the wisdom, to create the best of times? My guest today is Christian De La Huerta. With 30 years of experience, Christian is a sought after spiritual teacher, personal transformation coach, and leading voice in the breathwork community. He has traveled the world offering inspiring and transformative retreats, combining psychological and spiritual teachings with lasting and life-changing effects. His new book, his newest book, Awakening the Soul of Power, has won multiple awards and was described by Grammy Award winner Gloria Estefan as a bomb for the soul of anyone searching for truth and answers to life's difficult questions. Welcome to Real Men Feel, Christian. Hey, Andy, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. And, and wow, what a beautiful reading you started us out with. Yeah, I think everyone remembers, you know, best of times, worst of times. I went to look it up and make sure I'm like, oh, there's a whole wonderful paragraph that, you know, since high school, I've forgotten. Yeah. yeah, me too. Me too. I've forgotten what a beautiful way that's, that begins. Yeah. And I feel like, again, at the dawn of a new year, probably every year is like that. You have the opportunity to to go both ways for the for the best, for the worst, to see the light, to see the darkness. And what I really like about your work and your message is, is that call to make the choice, to, to decide for yourself, to, to, to add value to the world, to, to be a hero to the world or, or not. Is is that, is that accurate? Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, it's that your reading resonated so much with me because I do believe that we're in those kind of really critical times. I I believe we're like make it or break it times. Mm -hmm. The planet will be fine. It might take several million years, but life will continue. The planet will find homeostasis again consciousness will continue evolving who knows maybe it turns out to be an enlightened cockroach planet (laughs) whether we make it that's what we're beginning to face we're just now beginning to witness and to experience whatever it is that we have unleashed on the environment of which COVID is a symptom of of our relationship to nature so if anybody watching this has the the slightest inkling, the, the slightest suspicion that they have teachers as healers, as activists and promoters of change. This is it. This is the time that we've been waiting for. Yeah, cool. And so so you write a lot and speak a lot about personal power and heroism. Heroism. Have you always felt that that sense of your own heroic self? Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? Um, I struggled with owning, you know, that word hero, or even owning the word of teacher, I, my adolescence was one long depression. Um, I know self doubt. In fact, I know self hatred. Um, and I also know how you can get out of it, right? Because that's flash forward 
today, no matter what doesn't, whether a, a project succeeds or it fails in quotes, never, ever, ever do I question my sense of self. My, my self-worth is unshakable. Um, and, and so I know that if that can happen to me, it can happen to anybody. And, and that's part of what this, my work is about, is helping people to that level of empowerment and freedom. So, so you mentioned your childhood was, was just really a long depression. And I know, you know you're, you don't have a, a traditional childhood. So tell me, tell me a bit about your, your upbringing. Well, I was born in Cuba and I lived, you know, in a communist regime for the first 10 years of my life. And so I always kind of felt like the outsider, you know, like something like, like I didn't belong. Um, and we came to the States, um, we lived in, in Georgia, rural Georgia, Milledgeville, Georgia for the first three years. Um, and I didn't speak a word of English. So really, you know, felt different, really never felt that I belonged there either. Um, and, and in Cuba, the minute that your family applied for a visa to emigrate, to leave, you were labeled gusano, which means worm, like even by the teachers in, you know, first, second, second third grade. Um, and then once I'd finally learned English and had this great Southern accent, um, we moved back to Miami where, you know, went to a Jesuit high school that was 90, probably 95% Cuban American. So I stu stood out again all over because I sounded like a Georgia peach. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that that theme of feeling different, of feeling like the other has been prevalent in me um, all my life and challenging for sure growing up. And there's a lot of, you know, wisdom and value that comes from that, from, from feeling different, from not belonging. Uh, to, to me, though, it's all of it was part of what helped me become who I am today. So today, how would you define heroism? You know, that's, that's how I start the book, because like me, I know many people struggle with the word heroism. In fact, I had a couple of publishing, you know, writing consultants who said, no, don't, don't put that word because people don't know what to do with that. And the reason for that is, is because we, it's really easy for us to project it outside and, and to honor, you know, heroism in somebody else, like a, like a warrior or a first responder, um, you know, an EMT, EMT fire, firefighters, um, the pandemic, I think, helped us to expand that a little bit. So now most of us, I think, would include our healthcare practitioners, our doctors, our nurses, our respiratory therapists who really place their lives at risk. And I would even include in their grocery store clerks and delivery people who, in the worst of it, made a lot of sacrifices to keep the, the rest of us fed and provided for and taken care of. And then the question becomes, well, what about the rest of us? And so what I write in the in this book um, is like ways of living that are nothing less than heroic. So, so for example, um, it's really easy to react. And, and when somebody says or does something that we interpreted as painful and to get them back and to say something back to them or take revenge on them, anybody can do that. To, to take a pause, to take a deep breath, to feel the ouch, and choose otherwise, like actually just bringing choice back into the equation, to me is heroic. Um, you know, to splatter somebody against the wall, anybody can do that. Um, to take the higher road, it's a, it's, it's a different story here. 
to to have to walk around rather than um, to be willing to to dive deep inside and and to face our inner demons, our our shadow stuff, uh, rather than going through life, you know, just numbing out like most of us do, and and self medicating with uh, substances and food and sex and gaming and social media and workaholism and all all of the ways in which we are so creatively numb out and run away from our feelings, um, like like your like your your podcast. Um, often talks about to be willing to do that to learn how to feel like if you would have asked me 30 years ago <clears throat> what I was feeling I had no idea I couldn't tell you because I had no idea um, and so to to you know we've we've got this whole misunderstanding that to feel is weakness and and I think it's the other way around to look to know what we're feeling and to learn how to communicate those feelings responsibly, like owning that there are feelings and nobody can make us feel anything, um, to and to in in a way with courage because it's always going to take courage to communicate that compassion in the moment and and communicate them gracefully, meaning in a way that the other person can hear it, not just dumping them like a two year old um, and and pointing the finger and blaming them. Um, which is only going to cause a shutdown on the other side. To me, that's nothing short of heroic. Yeah, I agree. And I love that you said, you know, going inward, because I certainly didn't realize this while I was growing up, but I've, I've come to really realize and experience that the my greatest fears are, are in me. Like yeah. it was easy to blame and look around and, but that's the easy stuff. But yeah, it took a, a shitload of courage to be willing Man. to look at my own personal darkness and why am i so depressed and why do i think i'm better off dead and it's yes. it's all in us I, our our darkness and our light is in us and yeah. our heroism and our victim is it's all inside of us and, yes. and that's what i love yes. how you're saying that her, heroism is really pausing and making that choice yes because we we all do have that power to choose always cool. always and and to the, and to me that's also heroic just to to pop ourselves out of, of that old and boring react and regret cycle, right? Because we react because somebody got us, somebody said something that was hurtful. And so we get them back. But what happens? You know, the the the, the adrenaline dissipates. An hour later, it was like, later, we're like, oh my God, I can't believe I said that. That was so mean. I, that's not what I really wanted to say. And we cause harm to other people and to our relationships. And ultimately, we, we don't really want it to be that way. But it's the way that we've been conditioned, and it's kind of what happens, as you know, when we suppress our emotions. What used to be spiritual teaching, that that everything is is energy, now we know from quantum physics, it's all energy. That includes the body. That includes the emotions. We know from physics, too, that energy cannot be destroyed. So all those times, those countless times that we have stuffed our emotions— that we have suppressed them because we didn't we didn't feel safe because little boys don't cry because we didn't want to be perceived as weakness because we didn't want to rock the boat too much uh, and so we wanted to maintain that illusion of peace that stuff doesn't go away it gets it gets lodged in the tissues of the body and what happens is that after years and decades of suppressing emotions a lifetime in some of our cases we walk around with layers and layers and layers of repressed emotional crap and unhealed past trauma which we then start projecting we're trying to have a relationship in the present moment and all of it is getting filtered through all that unhealed stuff like to me it's it's amazing it's mind-boggling that any relationships can work 
because we haven't been taught like how to hold them, how to approach them. And we haven't been taught about clearing our stuff so that we stop, you know, throwing it on each other's lap. And yeah, go ahead. I often say that yeah, every emotion will be felt. Yeah. And if it's something we stuff, it's going to come out sideways and distorted and in response to something that has nothing to do with the original trauma right. incident, whatever that feeling was yet you tied it, you decided to suppress. So, right. You, and, you, and especially for guys, you know, because, you know, one of the things that, that I get into the book is I have a chapter that that's all about what it means to be a man in the 21st century, because this conflicted and ambivalent relationship we've, we've had with power for the several, you know, thousand years of, of the patriarchy, which is more power about hierarchy, about my way or the highway, uh, cowboy mentality, um, you know, power over power related to fear, force, domination, control. I'm going to push you down and step on you in order for me to feel powerful. Look, of course, women and the feminine have 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 paid a price for that. The feminine energies have have paid a price for that, but so have men. Um, and so do men still. Like the, to me, that's one of the reasons why the the mortality rate is so different. Like in the U.S., women outlive men by five years globally by by seven years and i think that part of the reason for that is because we've got this mistaken idea of what it means to be a man and so we walk around like these uncaring unfeeling robots and those energies have to come out one way or the other so they start showing up as as physical symptoms as illness disease uh cancer heart attacks ulcer um, and and it's part of the reason why we, we we're so unhappy too, uh, because it's such a limited and limiting um, perspective and of what it means to be a man. So what what is the healthiest, most fulfilling way to express masculinity today? Hmm, that's a great question. That's that's part of what I what I did in that chapter is look at some of the traditional ways. In which you know, which we associate as traditional um, male roles, and and kind of update them, redefine them for the twenty first century. So let's look at the at one of them, the provider. You know, it's it's such a part of the identity for so many of us as guys. You know, the one who brings home the bacon. Um, but if we look at the numbers, I think the last numbers that I have are for twenty seventeen. I need to get the more recent figures. But in twenty seventeen, in 40% of heterosexual households in the U.S., the woman is it has higher income, is bringing in more than the man. Um, and 50%, more than 50% of college graduates are now women. So we can see which way this is going. Followed by, by men, we're being replaced by robotics and computers and outsourced um, by, you know, to global, by globalization. And so no wonder that so many men are having an identity crisis. You know, if I'm not the provider, then who am I? And so no wonder that so there's so many men who are, who are having a crisis right now. I think that I was reading a couple of days ago, 8 million men in the U.S. have just given up. They're not even trying to, to find a job um, when there are plenty of jobs available to be had. And, and no wonder that so many men are wanting to go back to the way that it was in the 50s, this idealized version of... of 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 life in the 50s um and so you know it's, it's like I, I look at that as like what about a different way of what it means to provide like that's are we really going to define ourselves 
as men by the size of our paycheck, um, it's like, wow, that's really limiting. If that's what you think of yourself and your role and who you are as a human being, that's by by, by the size of your paycheck, yikes. Uh, but so many of us do. Um, and so, so, for example, another way that we can express that, what, what about be providing for your family, for your household, for your loved ones, a safe environment? where psychologically, emotionally safe, where, where everybody can just blossom and you know that that, that role is the rock and that it's gonna, always going to have your back. And then all of our kids, our family can, can just blossom and explore with who they are. And, and that is priceless. To be able to have that is priceless, it's infinitely more uh, valuable than the size of the contribution of a paycheck. Right. Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out because I have never met anyone that talks about uh, their experiences as a, as a child and their dad like, oh, yeah, and payday was the favorite. <laughs> He'd show us his check and we all celebrated. <laughs> but it, it's right. all about, you know, being a provider right. of of love and joy. And, yes. and that's what makes the positive memories and yes, the tight family and and can change the world for the better. Exactly, exactly. Or so, the explorer, you know, it's an, another traditional role that, that men have played is the explorer. Um, and at least on this little planet, we're running running out of spaces to places to explore unless you go deep, deep, deep into the ocean or far into outer space. But what about exploring yourself? You know, what about what you were just talking about, you know, being willing to dive in um, and explore, like to, to face our shadow, to face our fears, face our inner demons. That is heroic. That is the stuff of heroes. Yeah. And I'm, let me know if you're seeing this. I'm seeing more men doing that, and yes. he, and younger and younger. Like the the yes. the newest generation seem willing to dive in at at much earlier ages, and yeah, that I really agree. gives me hope for everything. So in, in the book, you you speak about soulful power often. So could you define soulful power? Yeah, and let me zoom out a little bit to talk a little bit about talk a little bit more about to set the context for it. I think most of us have an ambivalent and I would even say conflicted relationship to power. Part of us wants it. Part of us is afraid of it. And I think, you know, the more that I dive into this in retreats and with coaching clients, I think what we fear is that if we really stepped into our power, into all of who we are, that other people might not be able to, to accept it, to handle it, and that we might end up rejected alone. Um, and who wants that? I think we also fear that we might abuse it. No wonder how many times throughout our lives have we witnessed and experienced abuses of power. Um, and then on top of that, we've been corrupted. We've, we've been influenced and conditioned to believe that power is bad, that power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts, absolutely. And what good-hearted person wants to be corrupted? So when you add to the mix the fact that we have also been conditioned, that, that the emotions and feelings are bad and weakness, um, we hate conflict. We avoid confrontation. Uh, what happens is that we end up giving away our power. We end up selling out on our, our innate, inherent power that nobody can give to us, nobody can take away. We are the only ones who give it away. And, and what I find most tragic about that is, is the reasons for which we give it away. So how many times have we said yes when inside we really feel no? Like inside it's really not okay with us. But we settle for that illusion of peace, um, for, for an illusion of acceptance, a false sense of security. And, and we, we settle for morsels, crumbs of pseudo-love. 
So I don't think it's a it's a very healthy and effective strategy to give away our power. So part of the, part of the journey then to beginning to reclaim our power um, is realizing that there's different types. So I talk about worldly power, the the way that the world relates to power, or ego power, the way that that ego part of us expresses power in the world, which is that more that hierarchical um, power over approach. Um, which, and I can contrast that to soulful power, which is to me, call it spiritual power, inner power, authentic power, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's so there are key differences. So, for example, a few of them. Um, worldly power is all about externals. So we tend to associate power with people who have money, fame, who are high up in some kind of hierarchy, whether it's the corporate ladder or some other kind of structure. But the thing about all those kinds of power is that because they're outside of us, they're fickle. Here today, gone tomorrow. So contra contrasting that with the inner power, which, like I was saying before, is like it's there. Nobody, nobody can give it to us, and we are the only ones who give it away. Uh, nobody can really take it away from us. Um, the worldly power is all about agenda. So it's always trying to get something for itself. And it's always trying to prove how big and powerful it is. Um, so it's all about facades and, and being perceived as. Um, whereas soulful power, it's humble. Like it doesn't need to prove anything to anybody. It knows how much power it has. And it doesn't need, to, doesn't need validation by anybody. Um, it's in internally referenced, internally validated. So I think of a, of a Gandhi or Gandalf, mm -hmm. if you you know if you're into the Lord of the Rings, in in their simple monastic robes, their sandaled feet, from looking at them, you'd never know how much power they hold. But when it's needed, get out of the way. If we think about it, Gandhi brought the British Empire to its knees when it was at its highest point in terms of global influence and global reach without ever shooting a gun or landing a single punch. That's power. And we all have access to that. Beyond taking an empire down, what what are some more practical, realistic, you know, down to earth, your individual life, what, what are some examples of, of being in that soulful power place? Oh my God, you... It's what I was just saying before, like not needing, getting to that place where you no longer need anyone's approval or validation. That That's powerful. That's having your, being in your personal agency, self-sufficiency. Not that you, we don't have other relationships that are deeply meaningful, but we're not needing anybody's approval or validation, which is incredibly empowering. Um, to be able to navigate power struggles so rather than the way that we've most of us have done it, which is all of this stuff gets subconscious, we're projecting on each other, all of our self-doubts, the not feeling good enough, the I'm not worthy, but we don't want to face that stuff. So we overcompensate for those things because they're too uncomfortable to look at. Um, and so then we get caught up in, in ego, egoic power struggles. Like, you know, you know, I say this, you say that, I say this, you say that, boom, until one of us explodes, and then we cause harm to our relationships. 
Um, so by understanding, by being willing to go inside and understand why we do the things we do, what are our triggers? What are our patterns? Why do certain people trigger me or certain type of relationships trigger me and, and trigger my, my, my self-doubt or my insecurity by being willing to do that? We can do something about it because we can't do anything about what we can't see. And, and once we begin to do that healing work and that work of realizing, it's like, wait a minute, all those feelings of not feeling good, of inadequacy, that there's something wrong with me, they're just misunderstandings of, of a young mind that didn't know any better. Um, incredibly empowering, incredibly liberating. Um, and then, you know, we, we have relationships that work better because we can stand in our power not threatened by anybody else's power so we don't have to get it stuck in those in those power struggles with very healthy boundaries very clear boundaries we know what works for us what doesn't work for us if we need to we take a stand for ourselves uh, but we don't have, have to walk around with those you know those those layers and layers of armor that may have served at some point in our lives but now they're just keeping us in in that prison you know, we walk around, especially as guys, like in these huge armors, thinking that, that that's powerful. That's not powerful. That's prison. Right? We walk around in DEFCON 1, just waiting for the next shoe to drop, waiting for the next attack, sometimes sneaking in the first punch just in case. That What a way to live, right? If we think about it, this relationship to life is much more powerful because I'm coming from a place that I know that, hey, life, Come at me. Whatever you throw at me, I got this. Right. So I got this. There's and a resilience and a bravery and a courage yes. to go within. So yes. Is, is there any ideal first step to help someone make that that start to make that switch from the egoic power to more in touch with their soul? Yeah, I mean, we're doing it right now. First part is understanding that you know what we've been doing and our misunderstandings. So it and it's to go back to what we were talking about earlier. Go within. That's the first step. Yeah. becoming self-aware because again we can't do anything if we're not aware of what we're doing so figuring out why we do the things we do um, okay, so yeah with, with, without awareness nothing can change so that's yeah. whenever, whenever i'm talking with clients and they realize oh i did that and like oh celebrate that you noticed something <laughs> in the past you were just unconsciously doing those things that now you don't like so exactly. that, that's that's a win it's yeah. a total win it's definite progress yeah. cool. and in your own experience was there some, was journaling, meditation, like what, what helped you go within when you first realized something, something's off and I want to do something about it? Well, I've always been kind of introspective, um, more of an introvert, which, you know, there's, there's a book called the introvert advantage. And from current perspective, I see that now um, because I was asking you know, difficult, challenging questions about myself at an early age. Um, so I kind of had a head start um, in that area. In terms of practices, the one that really changed my life was breathwork. Um, and we don't have time to really get into breathwork here. It's a, it's a, it's a large umbrella term. There's breathing practices and breathing, breathing techniques that have a lot of benefits. The type of breathwork that I'm doing is you breathe in a certain way in a circular connected way um, for about an hour, an hour and a half, an amazing shit happens. Um, you know, my dad was a psychiatrist, my, my degrees in psychology. I was going to, I was on a track to get a PhD in psychology. And when I discovered breathwork after my first session, 
I jumped tracks. I never went for the PhD because it works so fast and heals so profoundly in so many ways. 30 years later, I've yet to come across anything that, that heals past trauma as effectively and as quickly and in so many levels. Yeah, I've, I think nine times I've done holotropic breath work, mm -hmm. which very similar, if not the exact thing you're talking about, it was is 90 minute to two hour long. And yeah, the first time I did it, I, I was just completely blown away. And it was the, it was the first time. So I, I've attempted suicide multiple times and mm. this breathwork session, I, I finally mourned it. Mm. Like I was in tears. I like mourned and recognized wow. that I had survived attempted murder and that I was wow. the attempting to murder myself. And wow, Andy. The, the next day I sent a bouquet of flower, a bouquet of roses to my mother and to my father and to myself as just not something it. some sort of action and but it was like that's what really started and i could mourn it and i could grieve it and i uh you know in in the breathwork experience i was i was tasting the highs of life and just having an yes. amazing time and then yes. i would crash because i yes. tried to throw this away like it was just up and it was the most bipolar yes. experience i ever had but it was also incredibly healing and yes. yeah i found this our our each of our own inner healer inner wisdom yeah. Yeah. comes out in breathwork somehow and and soothes and heals so yeah, yeah it's, I just... it's amazing how it works and thank you by the way for so much for sharing that it's so moving that that visual um yeah and i'm so sorry that, that I, mean, I totally relate um i never tried but i certainly had the fantasy um throughout my entire adolescence um so i i my heart goes out to you and celebrate with you um that you breathed your way out of that yeah, and this one one big thing about awareness, once I was willing to be wrong about everything I thought was right, um, that's what opened the door for me. Yeah. So I was, yeah, and so many men, like, it's more important to be right than be happy. And we, yes. that's totally reversed. Which, by the way, goes back to the ego. That's one of the, the, the functions of the ego is one of the shenanigans of the ego is to, it thinks that it's right. Always. And, and like you're pointing to is like, even if we are right, who cares? Like so, with so much of our identity is tied into being being right. It's like, what is that? What is that? Uh, to to me, that's part of that symptom of overcompensating because deep, deep, deep down inside, we don't feel good enough. So so we attach and hold on to more superficial expressions, like being right, and that's going to give me meaning. And then when somebody challenges that, then I take it as a challenge to the to my very foundation of my deepest identity. It's like, no, man, you just. It's okay to be wrong once in a while. It doesn't mean anything about you. Yeah. So again, kind of mixed up in all of this this notion of mass and wanting to be right. And when we first spoke, you had shared uh, an experience of self sabotage in high school, and and I had done very similar the same thing. So might, might you uh, tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things about being an introvert was that I was a good student, um, and especially coming to a different country, a country in which I didn't speak the language. I, you know, I, I and, and having been raised in Cuba where we had a TV, but there was nothing worth watching. I grew up reading. So I, I had a, an ease with learning, um, had a propensity for learning. So I had a 4.0 in high school, except for one B my last semester. Um, I know I think it was the next to last of some, the, the semester in, as a senior and I didn't set out to do this consciously, but looking back on it, I know, I don't have the slightest doubt 
that I sabotaged my GPA because it was a self-guided study. All I had to do was read a book and and do a, a book report, which I've done a ton of. But I turned it in late, and that was enough for me to get a B instead of an A. And that was enough for me to get to knock me out of the running to be the valedictorian because there is no freaking way that I could have gotten up then in front of an auditorium filled with hundreds and hundreds of people and and speak. There's no way. No way I could have done that. And flash forward, you know, now I speak all over the world. Um, you know, speaking at dozens and do dozens of universities and conferences and uh, on the TEDx stage. So I know, you know, from personal experience in myself that all this stuff, all the, these fears that we have allowed to hold us back, that all can be healed and all can be transcended. Yeah. Yeah. I find the, the, the things that I've been most fearful of and, and terrified of the longest are the things I need to do and that <laughs> just make life better. And, you know, I, I used to, I, I dropped out of college to avoid uh -huh. a, a mandatory public speaking class. I just stopped, stopped going, went from A's to F's and was incomplete and kicked out. I was like, oh, thank God. It was all to avoid a class <laughs> that I was afraid of. And in, in high school, midway through senior year, the class rankings came out and I was third in my class. Wow. I was like, what the fuck? How can this be? Like I was, I was in the advanced classes, but I was not trying. The other one was trying to get valedictorian, trying to do this and doing things for the college applications. And I was depressed and miserable. And I didn't realize till later how afraid I was. So wow. I was afraid to go to college and be discovered as a fraud. Yeah. I thought I was ranked third in my class because I was just the chief idiot in a sea of morons. Like, I thought I was just, <laughs> that was it. I was just like uh, the third ranked of, of this town of idiots. That's really how I saw. And again, I blame everybody else because I couldn't accept what the, you know, what I thought of myself. Wow. Right. But that's uh, yeah, powerful, so I, 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 I consciously tried to flunk out of high school so I would not graduate. That's amazing. It's amazing. The things we do and most of it, not even consciously. Uh, to me, that's the saddest part. I didn't do this. I didn't set out to do this. And you didn't set out to do this. We were just being driven by under the surface. We weren't even aware of the deep-seated, deep-rooted feelings of, of lack of self-love. And like that imposter syndrome that if they really knew me, they would see how how stupid I am or how filling the blank I am. Um and all of it, all of it, that's the tragic, tragic part. All of it is just a misunderstanding. Yeah. And and it's all fixable, malleable, changeable. Yes. Yeah. Because um, even the, the man who insists on not feeling and denying emotions, I find that they are living in the most fear. Because it's fear of anyone thinking that they have a heart, that they feel, that they're soft, that they might ever cry. It's fear of anyone knowing their truth that keeps them living a lie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's hard. I think that I think it's yeah. I think it's it, it's another aspect of that is you know that we think that it, to show feelings is feminine, because little boys don't cry. What well, way is that? Because only little girls cry. It's like wait a minute, let's let's look at that because there, there's so many there's, there's some faulty premises in that. One is that the emotions are weakness. It's like wait a minute, emotions are not weakness. They're not strength either. They're not they're not good. They're not bad. They're just energy depending on how we express them, they have a good or a not so good effect. But the, the emotion itself is just an energy. And, and then that the, that the assumption that the feminine is weakness, it's like, wait a minute, you want to talk power, courage, resilience, ability to withstand pain? Let's talk about the power of creation that resides in a, in a female body. And I think of this story of, you know, from Betty White, um, who left us in the beginning about a year ago. Um, 
and in her unique way, I think she, the, the story goes something like this. She was being interviewed in one of those um, um, one of those TV shows with multiple celebrities. So there was a discussion going on, and somebody said something about having balls. And she goes, wait just a minute. Where did we get this association that with balls and having courage or strength? You know, you thump those little things and, and the guy collapses, bends over in severe pain. You want to talk courage? You want to talk strength? Let's talk vaginas. Those things take a pounding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, that, 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 it's yeah. so true and just shows like how far back our distorted thinking goes. And, yeah. and what we've been taught. And, and again, that's going back to the generations I'm seeing um, younger than ours. They're waking up. They're recognizing these falsehoods much quicker. Yes. So again, I, I really, uh, back the, the best of times, the worst of times. We really are at the, the, love the, the potential for this dawn of a new time for, for all humans and men especially to be able to lead the way from a soulful power, not an egoic one, not a power over things, but yes. a, a powerful ability to to open up. That's right. Power with. Seen. Like if I'm in my power, why would I possibly be threatened by you being in your power? I can celebrate that. I can share that. I can honor that. It's like, I know who I am. Yeah. Cool. I can handle whatever um, you throw my way. So Awakening the Soul of Power, you, you said it's book one in a Calling All Heroes series. Correct. So can you give any teasers about what's to come? What, what do you have in plan? Yes, yeah, so book of two, which I just committed. I just facilitated New Year's and New Year's virtual retreat. And, and I committed to finish book two of this year. I'm about 50% done. And because writing is what I resist the most, what I procrastinate on the most. Um, all right, but I made the commitment and I'm recommitting here publicly. Um so that one is on relationships, like how to do relationships consciously. And I think because most of us, that's the area where we give away our power. And and, and the book is about all relationships, but it's going to have a particular focus on romantic, intimate relationships. Um, and so how do, what does it mean to have them consciously? Um, and so if you are in relationship and you've got the basic human needs for love and sex and com companionship and family and all that good stuff, then what? How do we use that container of the relationship to fast track our own process of healing and transformation, which is what we're here for ultimately? Um, you know, I hope everybody listening to, listening to this or watching this now knows that there isn't anybody out there who's going to make us happy. Not going to happen. And it's not their job to. If that's how we're approaching relationship, you're going to make me happy. Forget it. Hang it up. It's not going to happen. And how unfair to put that responsibility on somebody else. Not even fair. So only we can make ourselves happy, obviously. Um, and, and so then how do, if, if you're not in a relationship and would like to be, how do we identify and, and remove, release the subconscious patterns uh, that have us sabotaging our relationships sometimes before they get go? By attracting people, by falling for people who are not a match, who are not available. They're, they're already with somebody else, or they live on the other side of the world, or they're just not there. Um, so what's going on with that? You know, why, if we say we want relationship, why do we end up doing this? Mm, you know, like, come here, but you know, not too close, right? And, and so um, we look at what's going on under the surface so that we can clear those subconscious patterns um, and and stop blocking love in our lives. I love the work you're doing. 
powerful conversation. It's a powerful book. I highly recommend it. I highly recommend people experience breath work because when, when I first experienced that, I, I thought, you know, if if we brought this to high schools, drug use would stop because the, the power to have these amazing experiences and visualizations and, you know, just, just have the trippiest experience uh, they've ever had came from my own breath. And that just continues to amaze me. Yes. But, but so Christian, what's the best way for people to learn more about, about you and, and, and the book and everything you've got going on? Well, if they want to find out more about breathwork, my TEDx talk is on the power of the breath. So just Google the power of the breath um, or look it up on YouTube. Um, in terms of the book is available wherever you want to, wherever books are sold. So if you want, if you want to support your local bookstore, order it there. If you want to, if not, you just get it on Amazon or any of those online websites that sell books. Um, in terms of reaching me, probably my website is the best way to do that. And once they go there, they can access my social media. The website is soulfulpower.com, S-O-U-L-F-U-L.com. I mean, power.com. Um, and then for, for your audience, anybody who goes and gets on my email list, and we know how easy it is to click unsubscribe if it doesn't work for you down the road. But anybody who gets on our email list, uh, we'll send them a sample, sample chapter of the book. And it happens to be the one that, that talks about what it means to live heroically in the 21st century. Um, so going back to your very first question, um, we'll send them some power practices. So designed to integrate the teaching so they don't stay at the level of information because we don't need more information. We've got information overload. What we need is transformation. And that only comes from really applying and living uh, from a set of, of teachings. And then we'll send them a meditation. I did a short teaching and I got a meditation on how to find trust, how to move to a place of trust during these times in which we live of chaos and fear and uncertainty. Well, thanks again so much, Christian, for, for sharing what you're up to with us, uh, getting the book out there, sharing your life experiences, because you're exactly the kind of man I love to talk to on Real Midfield, a, a man willing to share what he's gone through and then share how he's being of service to the world. And um, we all have the potential to be of service to the world. And it starts with serving yourself. Without and, a doubt. Yeah. So get out of and the ego, you. get into your soul. Awesome. Uh, thanks everyone thank for joining us. Thanks for everyone for listening. Wherever you're discovering Real Men Feel, please do all the things the platform allows you to do. Like, follow, subscribe, share, comment, whatever it is you can do there. We appreciate the support. You can always reach out to me at realmenfeel at gmail.com. Always glad to hear from you. And until next time, be good to yourself, love yourself, and be willing to be the hero in your life.